The Holy Gospel for this day is from John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Then cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, Jesus said to him, Then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to be. If I could pick my favorite scene from any of the gospels, this would be it. It's filled with so much emotion and intimacy between Jesus and his disciples. It's like the final scene in one of those Hollywood movies where the whole point of the movie is 
finally revealed at the end of the story. Jesus is about to leave. And he has this last heart-to-heart talk with his disciples. And he has this wonderful conversation at the very end of our reading with, with Peter. Entrusting those he loved to Peter and to his ministry. So the two main stories in our text for today provide us with a few mixed metaphors. The first is about fishing and the second is about shepherding. When we put the two together, we come up with something like, I don't know, fishing for sheep or shepherding fish. The metaphor may be mixed, but together they can provide a wonderful balance for a church's ministry. Both shepherding and fishing present a wonderful balance for any church's ministry. It's hard to set a a firm time frame for the stories in our text for today because chapter 21 of John is so obviously an epilogue or an afterthought in the Gospel of John. Read again the last two verses of chapter 20, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him you may have life in his name. These words make an ideal ending for any book. But John decides to add a couple more stories before his final conclusion. Although chapter 21 is an epilogue, scholars say that all of the earliest manuscripts include this chapter 21. When we review the events of of chapter 20, we, we see that Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary and the women on, that, on Sunday morning, on Easter morning. That Sunday evening, he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them. A week later, he, pe- he appeared again to them, but uh, made his personal appeal to Thomas. And our story uh, in chapter 20, 21 takes place sometime after that, but we have no idea how long after um, that conversation took place. Seven of the disciples were gathered together in one place. I believe that the disciples were confused about what they were supposed to be doing now, after Jesus rose from the dead. They had no idea how they were to carry on their ministry after the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. Even though Jesus proved his resurrection to them, things were obviously so different that they didn't quite know what to do next. Perhaps they had a conversation that went something like this. Nathaniel might have asked, we saw nothing from Jesus from Sunday to Sunday during this past week after the resurrection, and now Jesus has disappeared again. When do you think we're going to see him again? Peter must have replied, I have no idea. In fact, I'm getting a little bit frustrated with with his absence. It was easy to follow Jesus around during his earthly ministry. But what are we supposed to do now? 
How do we function when he pops in here and there and now and now and then? And furthermore, I'm tired of sitting around and waiting for what it is that we are supposed to be doing next. I've got to get out of this place. I'm going fishing. The other disciples were as frustrated with Jesus' absence and Peter, as Peter was, and they all chimed in. Huh, we'll go with you. And they were all eager to return to something concrete, something they could do with their hands, something familiar to them. Some scholars have suggested that this fishing trip was a, a, an act of sinful doubt. These disciples had been fishermen before, and before Jesus called them from their nets. Perhaps this night of fishing meant that they had given up on this new vocation and were returning to their previous way of making a living. I prefer to think it was merely a night of stress relief. Not unlike the desire that many of us have to go fishing today or golfing today or something that gets us out of doing what we do all week from 9 to 5. They just wanted to get away for a while. Often a fishing trip is just an excuse to leave the stress of the working world behind and to return to nature. I can relate to that. The seven of them all then spent all night fishing from the boat. We can imagine them with a lantern hung over the side of the boat to attract the fish, taking turns throwing the circular net over the water. After each throw, they came up empty-handed. If the disciples were anything like me, I think they must have been even more frustrated by daybreak than they were the night before. They had fished all night, caught nothing, no fish. In the morning, mist and fog they heard a voice calling from the shore they couldn't make out who it was just a lone figure there but they did hear what he said have you caught no fish cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some like most fishermen they were undefeatable tireless in their pursuit of a fish even today fishermen seem like to like nothing better than to try something new Tackle boxes filled to the brim with thousands of varieties of lures. The early fishermen were just as willing to try something new, a new spot, even if it was just on the other side of the boat. So they cast their net on the other side of the boat. That's when they snagged that surprising catch of 153 fish. Not even just 153 fish. It says 153 large fish. They were definitely fishermen telling you some fishing tales. No small fish involved in that one. It was a miracle that the nets did not break with such a load. By now the fog was beginning to lift and the, the miraculous catch caused John to look closer at this mysterious figure on the shore, and he finally recognized that it was indeed Jesus. When he, then he exclaimed, it's the Lord. Peter immediately grabbed for his clothes, jumped in the water, and began to swim towards Jesus. The other disciples struggled with the boat of the heavy fish until they brought them both into to dry land. And so what do we make? of this post-resurrection fishing expedition. 
It seems to reflect back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he found some fishermen and said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. This analogy represented Jesus' earthly description of the work that he was calling these fishermen to do. They were fishermen. He called them to fish for people. These disciples had likely felt this was an apt description for their ministry with Jesus. People flocked around them like schools of fish in a feeding frenzy. But what would their job be after the resurrection? They were confused with Jesus often on appearances, popping in here and popping out there. What were they supposed to do without him? Well, I believe this experience is an acted-out parable, not unlike those of the Old Testament prophets. The message is that they were to continue to fish for people, and their post-resurrection catch would be larger than any other during their earthly ministry with Jesus. Notice from the text that someone bothered to count the exact number of fish at 153. Many ancient scholars attempted to decipher the meaning of the number of fish caught that day. Cyril of Alexander said that it was a symbolic number, a hundred meaning the fullness of the Gentiles, plus 50 representing the remnant of Israel, and three representing the Trinity. Okay, I don't know where he got that from, but good for him. Augustine discovered 153 is the sum of 1 through 17. Then he proposed that 17 was a symbolic number representing the Ten Commandments and the seven gifts of the Spirit. Okay, seems like a leap to me, but, you know, that's all right. But I think I prefer Jerome's suggestion. He said that there were 153 fish because there were 153 different kinds of fish in the Sea of Tiberias. Therefore, the catch was a symbol that the gospel is for everyone, every kind of person in the world. If we accept Jerome's idea, then this fishing trip meant that the disciples were to become missionaries to the whole world. And that is, in fact, what they did. They still fished for people, but their catch now included every kind of person, and their catch was miraculously large. Today, we are still called to be missionaries, wherever we are. Our number one task is to find creative ways to cast the net and draw people to Christ. The second metaphor from our reading this, uh, this evening, um, comes while the disciples were enjoying this wonderful breakfast of fish and bread that Jesus had prepared them. Someone called this the last breakfast. I suspect that Simon Peter was a bit uncomfortable during this meal. I know that I would have been. He was still wrestling with his own guilt over betraying Jesus three times before the cock, cock crowed on that Friday a few weeks before. That's when Jesus addressed Peter directly. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three times Peter affirms his love, and three times he is charged with the personal care of Jesus' flock. This triple set of questions corresponds to Peter's three denials. You know, much has been made of the verbs used for to love in this exchange. Some scholars point out that the first two times Jesus uses the Greek word agape, and Peter's reply uses the word phileo, brotherly love. Then the third time Jesus uses phileo, and so does Peter. The conclusion often drawn is that Jesus is asking for a more noble love from Peter, while Peter offers a simple friendship as all that he can give. And ultimately, Jesus accepts the lower form of love. But it is likely that Jesus was speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew rather than Greek. Uh, Hebrew and Aramaic, like English, only have one word for love, not three subtle differences as in the Greek language. In asking the question three times, Jesus is asking if Peter will be his disciple, to follow him no matter the cost. Jesus is alluding to the price of discipleship, both in the word love and in the use of the word of the shepherding metaphor. By entrusting the care of the flock to Peter three times, Jesus is bringing up the full range of the duties that a shepherd has in pasturing and protecting, searching out for strays, catching, uh, caring for uh, for injuries and providing shelter. The church today succeeds or it fails based on how it does with these two mixed metaphors, fishing and shepherding. A church cannot live past one generation if it doesn't go fishing. Without the work of evangelism, any church will die, just as a body without nourishment will atrophy. Most churches are better at shepherding than they are at fishing. Most congregations do pretty good at feeding the lambs and tending the sheep and feeding the sheep. They care for one another. They minister to the members. In fact, they get upset when certain members miss several Sundays in a row. Most congregations do pretty good at shepherding. But what about fishing? How many of us are guilty of envy about the Easter crowds a few weeks ago? How many see all those people coming to church and wish that they had that many or more every Sunday? How many wish we had a catch of 153 fish? See, this story should convict us because we haven't taken that first step. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The other disciples said, we will go with you. How many of us are willing to go fishing for people? Our church would double in attendance instantly if every member caught one fish. But you don't catch fish if you don't go fishing. See, the two stories might be 
seen as mixed metaphors, but they provide a healthy challenge for any congregation. Shepherding for fish. That's what the church is all about. Let's covenant together to fish for sheep or shepherd the fish. Amen.